This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you're listening to episode 56. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Sean Peasgood. He is the president and CEO of Sophic Capital. Sean has been covering technology and clean tech for a number of years, and I thought it would be great to hear his insights on how to evaluate a potential investment in these sectors. I've known Sean for a couple years now and been following his industry insights. He has also contributed an article for the Microcap Review magazine covering the technology and clean technology sectors. The goal for this episode is to learn more about how Sean approaches investing in tech and clean tech microcap stocks. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 56 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Sean Peasgood, but first a word from our sponsor. Our House Grief Support Center provides the Los Angeles community with grief support services, education, and hope. This wonderful organization helped me immensely, and the Planet Microcap podcast is proud to support their upcoming event, The Night for Hope, on Friday, November 17th at the Palace Theater in downtown Los Angeles. Join the Our House Grief Support Center's Associate Board for a night of good friends and great laughs, featuring a lineup that includes some of LA's finest up-and-coming comedians. All money raised will benefit the Our House mission and continue to help the community in need. For more information, visit ourhouse-grief.org backslash hope tickets. I look forward to seeing you all there. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I have Sean Peasgood on the program. He is the president and CEO of Sophic Capital. Sean, welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. So to start off, as we do, uh, what is your background? Yeah, so um, I spent about 10 years on the sell side, um, writing uh, equity research, covering technology stocks. Um, both with bank-owned and, and independent dealers. Um, and then after following, you know, smaller and smaller companies as I moved down from kind of the bank platform to the independent uh, dealers, um, decided that, you know, I wanted to get involved with actually helping microcap companies in the tech space, being able to navigate the capital market. So almost five years ago, uh, I started Sofa Capital. It's a capital markets advisory firm. Um, and an investor relations company that helps smaller tech companies and clean tech companies uh, with capital markets. Mm-hmm. So, so you got your start investing in microcaps. Then it was kind of just after you were done with that that sell side experience, right? Yeah, I mean, I would I would still play the market. Um, 
where I could. Uh, we had more handcuffs as far as what we could invest in when uh, we were on the sell side. But uh, yeah, I still would invest in things for kind of longer term themes. So what was your first maybe uh, introduction to microcaps, you know, it, from that experience? Because something must have happened there where then you were, once you became independent, you were like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on these. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what I saw was just, you know, there were a lot of good companies in Canada, um, specifically in, in the market up here where, the, you know, founders had their had put a lot of time taking the business, you know, from the private stage to get it public. Um, and then there just weren't as many eyeballs up here because Canada is really focused on resource stocks. Uh, there, there, there was kind of a real great opportunity to take these smaller companies and, and, and really help them out. And, you know, they really weren't getting the attention they deserved. And so, you know, that that's really where I got interested. And, you know, back when we were at the small at when I was at a smaller dealer, um, made some pretty good investments into some smaller companies and realized, you know, the returns there could be very, very good. Um, I'll, you know, albeit the risk was a lot higher, but um, the returns were were ones that, that, that were definitely worth uh, doing the work for. So. So, so before I get into your your microcap investing strategy uh, itself, you know, I wanted to also I wanted to ask you a little bit more about you know why you chose to get into the clean tech and technology space because you've written for the magazine, also microcap review discussing these two sectors. So, you know, was it more of a circumstance? You know, you came to the firm and said, "All right, Sean, you're you're the young guy here. You're doing clean tech and tech," or did you come in being like, "All right, I have this background." you know, this is what I want to do at the firm. Yeah, I mean, um, it, was a, it was a bit of both. So when, when I first started, uh, came straight out of, out of school and got an opportunity at one of the major banks here in, in Canada. And so um, part of that was, you know, there was maybe five or six sectors that I would be, that I was interested in working in. And then there was also, you know, of that, there was maybe three openings. And so technology was definitely something that, you know, I'm passionate about and have been for a long time. Um, got lucky because, you know, it turned out that one of those openings were there. But as they say in this business, you know, you gotta, you gotta land a job first and then kind of work towards your dream, to, dream job. And, uh, and that was really a strategy. So, you know, I got lucky. I got, uh, got embedded in the, in the, in the tech space, uh, loved it, got, uh, you know, really focused on that space. And so that's really why we continue to play out, you know, working in, in that area. Really, if, after you spend 10 years following a couple sectors, uh, it's easier to make money by doing what you know than trying to figure out a bunch of new things. So we really do uh, specialize in those spaces. And I'd say, you know, 90% of my personal portfolio as well is invested in, in, in that area as well, whether it's in Canada or the U.S. All right, so now I want to get into your microcap investing strategy. You know, what what is your criteria when you're evaluating a new uh, potential investment? Yeah, so when we're you know when we're looking at an investment or even you know at at a potential client, um, you know we look generally for about seven things, and we've talked about these openly in in a number of different forums. But you know, the first one is we're looking for something that's disruptive. So you know, really looking for a company that has some form of disruptive technology. Um, alongside that, some kind of moat, whether it's patents or trade secrets, a lot of software companies can't issue patents, but, you know, trade sequence, trade secrets and, and personnel who know how to do things better than anybody else, um, to, to kind of create and maintain a moat, 
uh, a large market opportunity. So we're not really that interested, obviously, in a company that's going to disrupt a small market. Um, so, you know, we size up that market opportunity and look to see, you know, how, how big that could be. Um, another big one that I think is really important for small companies is, is an initial large customer. And so we like to see not, not a customer, you know, that's getting a product for free, but a customer that's actually willing to pay the market price for a product. And, you know, if you can find a company that has these things and they have, you know, just landed a really large customer, you likely have to pay up to, you know, a little bit more than before they had that customer, but it's de-risking the situation significantly once, you know, that first customers come in. Uh, that's usually, you know, one of the hardest milestones for one of these small companies to hit. Um, the other thing we look for, you know, high insider ownership. So we like management and board to have skin in the game. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit easier with tech because a lot of these entrepreneurs founded the companies and, and took them public. So generally they are incented, but we want, we want management and the board to be aligned with shareholders and that will help. I mean, not always, but, you know, really de-risk them making bad financing decisions. Um, and then, you know, obviously strong management board, they are, you know, for small companies, management is really the key. You know, it's probably the number one thing. If, if you have any issues with with the management team or, or there's any red flags, it, you know, look, look, look elsewhere, I would say. Um, and we look at the entire management team. You know, we're not just talking to CEO, you know, meet the CFO, CTO, figure out if, you know, these companies have the ability to not only win, but also compete with the bigger companies when uh, when they are successful. And then I guess lastly, you know, this is, you know, more of the financing aspect of it, but the capital structure, you know, look at how many shares are outstanding, uh, try to get a handle on who actually owns the stock when they last raised capital, um, you know, understand if there's warrants and converts and, and the pricing and the expiry on those as well. All right, cool. So I actually want to delve deeper a little bit into a couple of these points. The the first one being is this idea, and this because this pertains especially with clean tech and tech, is this idea of disruptiveness. You know, can you what what does that mean? Yeah. So I mean, it it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I sure. mean, yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I, I I think uh, for us, we, you know, we look for something that's going to displace. Another product is one way to think of it. So it's a better mousetrap. It might be cheaper. It might be cleaner. It might be or greener. Um, it, it might be a better solution. It may incorporate new and old technology together. I mean, one of the big, you know, one of the big disruptions that I think is taking place now. There's been, you know, this is not my idea. This is this is out there in uh, in the world. But you know, this whole idea of electric vehicles and the idea of, you know, now you have not only you know a computer on wheels but you have all the pieces that can actually enable that transition to happen and when you have when you have the you know the chips and you've got the lithium ion batteries and and you've got all the components to make that happen um, the amount of when you see disruption like that it, it can accelerate to the ups, upside extremely quickly so people will say oh yeah EVs you know they won't come in until 2050. Well, if I'm a betting person, you know, th this this market will be disrupted significantly much, much quicker. And, and, and a perfect example of that as well as Uber, right? I mean, they're literally taking technology that's already put together um, or already out there and they're putting it together, creating a new disruptive business model. So even the business model could be disruptive and, you know, seeing 
it's completely disrupting the taxi business. So, I mean, I, I think it's, I've kind of talked around disruption, but those are some ways to think about it. I think it's either a product, a process, or even a business model. Right. And, and the reason I, I, I wanted to ask a little deeper about that, because, you know, that's like one of those key phrases you always hear when it comes to a new tech company, you know, that it's disruptive, it's changing the industry, it's changing the game in some way. So I thought that would be important to kind of hit on, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, and, and I mean, look, everybody wants to find something that's disruptive and going to win. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it, not every tech company should be called disruptive uh, for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, if you could find, you know, 10 things that you would want on a list, that would be one of them. Well, I mean, in, in microcaps, I mean, what's your, you know, you've been at this a while. I mean, how often do you see something that's truly disruptive? Yeah, I mean, so I guess there's, I've seen a lot of, there's two, two, two answers to that. First off, there's a lot of disruptive tech. However, the key to being a, a good investor is to know that not only the tech is disruptive, but that the management team is going to be able to commercialize and take advantage of that disruptive technology. A lot of, a, a lot of companies go to zero before they even are able to commercialize. Um, and especially in the Canadian market, that's even, that can be tougher because a lot of companies up here are undercapitalized. Yeah. You know, it, it, I would say that the mentality in the U S and elsewhere is, you know, we're willing to put money into a company to see the top line grow. And as long as the top line's growing and there's no profits, no problem. We'll keep kicking capital at that because, you know, you're, you eventually you'll see profits to the bottom line. Uh, the mentality in Canada is a lot different, especially in microcaps where companies are forced to, I think, make the wrong decisions to try and become profitable too early. Um, and really that's just so that they can access, uh, access capital. Um, but yeah, so my point is really, um, you know, I think there's a lot, I think it's the commercial aspect and getting those disruptive technologies to market. But I have seen, I have seen a number of them for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, that actually, that segues perfectly into one of your other uh, seven things that you mentioned, and that has to do with uh, you look for strong management and board. You know, so what are, what are some of the characteristics you look for in management of these technology and clean tech companies? Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess first off, it's the entire management team, right? So looking at the entire management team and, and making sure that there's the right you know, not just the right CEO, but the right CFO, the right CTO, COO, if, if there is one. Some of these small companies, you know, don't even have all of those titles. Um, but the right people in place to make sure that, you know, you can actually commercialize the product and that you do have a vision um, to do that and you have this, the capabilities to be able to, to execute. Um, we also, you know, look at history. So, have they been successful in the past? Have they made investors money in the past? Um, and, you know, it, it, if there isn't a history there, then don't just rely on what they're telling you, right? I mean, try and talk to other investors or other in industry professionals who may know them. That's probably one of the best ways to do due diligence and, and on management teams, I think, is just is just speaking to people who they've worked with and, and other investors that have either invested alongside with them for a long time. How open are they? How honest are they? You know, are you able to talk to them? Um, and then obviously, because it's technology, the technical expertise has to be there, not always with the CEO, 
sometimes that might be the CTO, um, the group of engineers that are on the ground. Um, but generally, you know, especially before we take a client on, not always for personal investment because it may be tough, uh, you know, try to get out there and, and put boots on the ground and, and meet these companies. The other thing that we do a lot of is we go to industry trade trade shows. So not investor trade shows, which we do as well, but I'm talking about, you know, drone shows about uh, drones or, you know, um, industrial and out of things or, you know, some of these themes that are that our clients or that companies that we know play on so that we better understand the space. And, and that's a great way to kind of get third party validation on the management team as well. So, you know, we're, we're also we are talking about the tech space. I mean, what's your appetite um, for investing in companies where it's, you know, a 22 year old CEO or a 20 year I mean, you know, some guys that, that may not have that 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 track record. Yeah, so I think in that case, um, you know, you need to go to the next layer, which first off, you know, there's a lot of really smart 22 year olds that have made a lot of people a lot of money, right? I mean, let's, let's go back to Facebook and uh, all these other all these other tech names. So but I think, you know, there are other key individuals that came into those businesses that probably de risk that, that issue. Um, And, and the other thing then is the board. So how strong is the board? And I would say not just micro cap companies, but small cap companies. This is generally an issue all around. Um, so, you know, trying to trying to look for companies with great boards, you may never make an investment in your life, um, and especially in the micro cap space. So the board is always a work in process, I would say, trying to improve them. But, uh, you know, if you're going to invest in, in a company with a with a young CEO who's never done it before, understand the tech, understand, you know, where they're going. And I would say, you know, in that case, you really want to make sure the board's in place and, and the oversight is there to make sure that, you know, things are going well. But, you know, everybody has to start somewhere, right? So sure. uh, I wouldn't discount it. <laughs> so uh, another point I wanted to hit on from one of your 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 seven things is the the last point you talked about, and that's the capital structure. You know, for you, what what's your ideal cap structure for a potential investment? Well, ideal cash on the ideal, balance, yeah. <laughs> cash cash on the balance sheet, no warrants outstanding, no no debt, no convertible debt, right? I mean, for a small company, that's that's the holy grail, right? It means that there's no warrants in front of you. There's already cash there. Um, generally, though, that's you know usually there's some warrants on the there's some warrants there that you've got to watch for, and I think it's okay if they're there. You just I just don't think enough people think about that, and so. You know, understanding when warrants um, need to be taken down and who owns them. You know, if you if you know that a big institution owns owns a lot of warrants and they also own a lot of free trading stock, then as we roll closer to the date, you know, and the stock's way up, there may be you know just some breathing room coming in or a need to find new buyers. And so, you know, this is more not really a long term issue. But it's more of a, a trading issue as far as if you're if you're looking at entering a position, you may just want to be aware of these things. You know, that's um, I was going to say, I, I wanted to hit on that real quick because, you know, in micro caps, you know, we have our best of all possible world scenarios. And I've asked that, you know, on the podcast ad nauseum. But, you know, let, let's hit on the, you know, if you had to, if there was some kind of hair, you know what I mean? If there's some hair on that, on this deal, you know, what in your opinion are some of the at least bearable hairs that you can deal with for like the short term, 
you know, but you're but you keep them in the back of your mind when you're considering it as as a, as a more long term investment. Yeah. So, I mean, you know what? Every situation is so different. Sure. It's a, it, it's a tough question. Um, but I mean, I can I, I can think of an example in my mind where I was so blown away by the technology and I was so excited about the, the patents and what they could do um, that, you know, the fact that there were some warrants outstanding and the company didn't have enough cash to get to, you know, I wanted to own a position um, and and be there. Right. So, you know, and, and the other thing is warrants can be a great issue. It can be a great thing if 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 the company knows how to manage warrants and knows how to get them you know, exercised, uh, you know, it's a source of, it's a source of financing without really the perception of dilution, even though you are actually adding, you know, dilution to the, to the, uh, cap structure. So, you know, I think warrants are, are really, I, I don't like them. I don't like them for a technology company. Uh, but unfortunately that's, that's just part of kind of where we live in the capital markets. And so a lot of these companies have to do, especially up here in Canada, four month hold paper, and so people aren't, it's not like a free trading piece of, piece of stock that people are getting. And so to incent them to hold it for four months, they've got to get a half warrant. I understand all that. Um, I really don't like converts, uh, especially, you know, converts in the hands of people who own free trading stock as well. Um, you know, it depends if it's management. It depends who owns these things too, right? It could sure. be a number of insiders where you can keep track of what's going on. I think a big key here is to understand who owns what um, and understanding the timing behind it. And, and, you know, understanding that the capital needs as far as like tech companies always need to raise more capital uh, or it seems until they until they become profitable. And so a lot of these micro cap companies have to continually come back to market. So you just want to be aware of this stuff. Right. So, so Sean, you know, outside of the, the seven uh, factors uh, that you look for in a potential new investment, you know, when you're looking at technology and clean tech companies, you know, are there any other key factors that you also look for? Um. Trying to think what I said now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I also, the, who who are shareholders? So who who owns the stock? Uh, who owns the company? I think that's that's important and can be telling. Um, I you know along the way, I would say rather than you know those are kind of the initial things to look at. But along the way, I want to see continued progress, things moving forward, management doing what they said they were going to do. Um, and, you know, I, and to be honest, the board improving, you know, from where it started. So I always like to see the board getting better, whether that's industry professionals, people who understand capital markets, you know, um, even, uh, you know, additions where the, the new person's coming in to kind of keep an eye on the company from a, a larger, not competitor, but someone that could be strategic. Uh, I, I think those those are the kinds of things I look for along the way. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, Sean, I, I should have prepped you. I, I shouldn't. I should have told you that I'm going to be throwing some curveballs at you today. I uh, I didn't know it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, another point I want to ask you is, you know, do you you also focus specifically on Canadian microcap stocks as well? And I think right. And and if so, uh, why? Yeah, I mean, I think. Well, first off, we're here. We're in Toronto. Um, it's you know the 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 space that we know really well. Um, uh, you know, as far as a firm, it it just makes it makes more sense, especially for what we're doing from you know from an advisory perspective, 
we have access to, you know, the institutions here, the brokers here, and, and we're starting to penetrate the U.S. market as well. But, you know, there's not <laughs> there's not a, as many ki- uh, U.S. companies that want to, you know, come up to Canada and, and do a roadshow. So, yeah, I mean, we, we focus here. Um, I like it up here, too, because there's not as much focus on tech. Uh, and so I think, you know, it, it, it creates an edge as far as being able to get access to these companies, understand what's going on. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the investor base generally starts here. So I was going to say, will that ever change? I feel like that's been the case for the last, like, I don't know. I've had, I've been doing this podcast since July, 2015, at least since then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been that, it's been that way by like the whole, you know, you, you, even you get into, you know, small mid caps, those companies get bought by much larger U S companies. That's the exit. I mean, right. if there's a successful company in tech in Canada, um, generally that's, that's your exit and that's how it plays out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people up here making a lot of noise about the government trying to do a lot more to maintain, you know, not, not only the, the engineering talent that's in this country, but, but also to get more funding for, for these small businesses. We have a, a great technology scene here, uh, Waterloo, Vancouver, you know, Montreal, Toronto, all those are, you know, even Calgary has a little bit, uh, all those are big tech centers that, you know, well, Amazon's moving to Vancouver, right? So, um, these are, or they're moving their second headquarters there. So these are big opportunities that I think the government and and people in the country are missing out on. Um, and yeah, but it hasn't, you're right. It hasn't changed. So let's hope it does. (laughs) So Sean, you know, what, what experience do you draw upon that taught you the most about microcap investing? What experience? Um, yeah, that's another tough one. Um, <laughs> it's, a good, it's a great question, right? I mean, there's so many, there's so many different case studies uh, as as we uh, you usually, know seen over the last couple of years. Usually, it's a win or a loss. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones. That, those are the right. ones that I remember. Every single one of those. Um, <laughs> tell everybody about the winners and tell no one about the losses. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I guess the one thing is that these things can move extremely quickly. So, you know, if you think of a micro cap, that's 10, 20, $30 million market cap, and they actually have something that's disruptive and starting to grow. And all of a sudden they get a PO for, you know, 6 million, or they get a PO for even 4 million, like a small order for a small company can mean so much and can really, you know, that's that can be the beginning of something that is is so much bigger. And so, I, I guess I've seen that a number of times, where, you know, where you're investing in, you know, even small caps, it it, it can take a lot longer. So, I, I guess the biggest lesson is, for one, it patience. You need patience. Uh, you need to be vigilant. You need to stay on top of your stories. You you know you need to be paying attention. Uh, things change quickly in this market, both positive and negative. Sure. Um, and especially so, not only are you adding the the micro cap risk uh, on onto the plate, but you're also adding technology and you know 
you think you have a disruptive stock until someone else is disrupting you. And so, you know, competition kills stocks in this space and things change quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really the big thing that, 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 that I've noticed is, you know, things move quickly. You may think that you've got a, got a huge winner and you should sell it. And you look in the rearview mirror two years down the road and, you know, you had something that was so much bigger that you didn't realize at the time. So um, and then on, at the same time, something goes badly and you don't think it's that bad or you get emotionally connected because you've had that long time that you've been working with the company or that you've been been been, been owning the stock. And, you know, you, you you don't notice. And the next thing you know, you're uh, you're heading in the wrong direction. And, and that can be quick. Right, right, right. So just to quickly follow up on that. So in your experience, you know, what was that learning lesson that, you know, like at least for the first example where, you know, you're looking in the room, you view mirror and you see, oh man, I really had something. I mean, did you then teach yourself? I'm just imagining that you would probably, I guess, you know, if you think you actually really have something, you what, just take out your principle and then just, you know, let, let it fly in, so to speak, or, you know, how, how would you handle something like that? Yeah, so everyone has a different view on that. I mean, I think originally, yes, taking out taking out your original investment, and you know, it depends where the stock is. I mean, sure. it, I think I think the thing is you have to you 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 should probably put in place some kind of rules. And and look, I don't do that all the time, um, but you know, if you're very very disciplined, you should put in place some kind of rule that says, hey, look, if the stock doubles, I'm going to take out a third of my position, reevaluate. And if, you know, if it keeps going, then I might take out more. You know, I think as long as you're paying attention and you know what's going on and you can justify the valuation, um, I don't think there's there's a need to do that. And I think, you know, lightening up when things are going well. You know, I've met a lot of really good investors who that use the exact opposite philosophy and they make way more money. And so, you know, there's no hard. I, I, I think it's good for de-risking the situation um, for some people. But I also think, you know, to be truly confident and understand what you're investing in, you know, it, the opposite would really play out. Oh, my God. Management did exactly what they said they were going to do. The stock just doubled. And they're telling me that they're going to do something similar again. And you shouldn't sell a share, right? You should be a buyer. Right. So then, so, you know, you actually, in that last answer, in the last two answers, you kind of hit on my next question, but I figured we could put it all together. You know, what, what are, what's some, what, what is some advice that you have for, for new microcap investors uh, looking at tech and clean tech in Canada? Yeah. So, I mean, I think first off, you know, invest where you're comfortable. Um, you know, everybody has an expertise or knows more about a sector than somebody else. And if you're just starting, that's where you want to go. Um, you know, I would, I would also say, you know, be, a, be aware, but be cautious of kind of third party research and, 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 and try to do your own work. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of fake news out there right now. <laughs> um, so, so uh, yeah, I just say you know, do your own work, and um, and and if you have an expertise, you know, then doing that work will be easier. I think what we talked about before: pay attention to you know capital structure, understand the cash requirements of the company, understand the burn rate. You know, one thing that people can get in trouble for is they get really excited about 
the growth prospects of a company and they don't understand the working capital requirements or they don't understand that, you know, the company's going to need capital. So really dig in and understand these, you know, one of the worst things that can happen to a micro cap is that they need to raise capital uh, and then everybody finds out that they do and everybody tries to get out of the way of a financing. So, you know, really try to understand the balance sheet and, and the working capital requirements and the capital structure and try to invest, you know, invest alongside some smart people, uh, try to find, you know, companies that that someone's already done a lot of work on that's that that you either trust or, um, you know, follow the smart money kind of thing. Uh, can can be can also be helpful as well. Uh, and hey, it's microcap land, so don't go out there and bet the farm when you first start. Right, go out there and pick away at a couple names, follow them, give yourself confidence. You know, make sure that make sure that what you're doing is working. And if it's working, then you know maybe take a bigger bet. But um, you know, don't go out there and, and and take all your money and and put it into a couple names and uh, and and hope it's going to work because. You know, these these stocks are volatile. They can take longer um, than what people think. And um, and and so, yeah, just I would just say take a cautious first first step. Right. So, Sean, where can my audience go and find more information about you and Sophic Capital? Yeah, so uh, we have a website, www.sophiccapital.com. All of our contact information is there. We also do some research. So we actually have some research reports on, you know, more industry research. Um, Some of those touch on our clients as well. Um, But those are all on our website under the research section. And then we're on Twitter at Sophic Capital, obviously LinkedIn and Facebook. And, you know, we update those social channels with industry news, interviews, um, and then, you know, some pictures and details when we're at some of these industry conferences. So you can find us there too. Sean, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Robert. That was great. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast. And thank you, Sean, again, for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of stocknewsnow.com, the official microcap news source, and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap podcast. Have a great week, everyone.